welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debman, and I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. Live is a relative term as it applies to this today's show. Well, it, it's always that way because we're never actually broadcasting live, but we always record live. We do. Well, do we have another option? I mean, there have been a couple of opportunities where I've recorded nearly dead, but that's <laughs> I was only mostly dead. Okay, well, I was wondering if there was another option. Thank you for the Princess Bride reference. <laughs> I did that for our studio audience's benefit. But before we talk about your globe-hopping ways, let's talk about what we're going to smoke tonight. What do you got? Why don't you go first? So I have the Macanudo Inspirado Red. I've been looking forward to smoking this cigar. I brought one to you a couple of weeks ago, and you smoked it on the show. I loved it. You enjoyed it. I did. I'm excited to try it. I've been holding it especially. I have not smoked one yet. I've been holding it especially for the show. The filler is Nicaraguan Ometepe, aged for 12 years. The other filler is Honduran Jamastron, aged for 10 years. The binder is Nicaraguan, and the wrapper is Ecuadorian. And, I'm, you know, I've been on such an Ecuadorian kick lately. You really have. I, re- I really like Ecuadorian. Of course, Ecuador and Nicaragua are pretty close together. The soil's got to be kind of similar. But looking at the map, if you, it's interesting. If you go to Macanudo's site and pull up the red, they actually have a map of South America kind of showing the spots each of these individual elements of this cigar come from. It says full-flavored and spicy refined. Did you, did you find it spicy? Not really. I mean, not in the way that a Nicaraguan is going to be really spice-forward. Um, I did I did find it to have some spice notes to it, but I found it to be a little bit more earthy, a little more oaky. Well, this is made from our friends at General Cigar, and Sean recommended it really highly, so I'm very excited to start smoking this. So while I light it up, why don't you tell us what you're smoking? All right, I'm smoking something actually very, very special tonight, and it's in preparation of when this episode is actually going to go out. Um, so I'm going to pull the veil off the show a little bit. Uh, we're actually recording this uh, about a week and a half early because the day that this episode goes out, I'm going to be in Italy. Specifically, um, today when this episode drops is June 2nd, which is a really important day for me. And so I'm smoking my birthday cigar. Awesome. So this is uh, Liga Pravada number nine. I'm smoking the Robusto today. Um, which is a size that I, I usually go for the Toro, but this one just kind of jumped out at me. I mean, I've smoked it on the show before, but uh, I mean, it's a broadleaf wrapper, uh, broadleaf oscuro wrapper, um, mostly Nicaraguan. Seven different Nicaraguan farms make up the binder and filler, so it's a really it means private label. Um, so it's a really exclusive cigar. The blend has changed a little bit over the last few years, but they finally got it back to a point where it really really deserves the name so it's uh it's always been a cigar that i hold in really high esteem so i pretty much save it for special occasions so in even though even though we're not it's even though we're recording ahead i thought because of the day that it's coming out i'd go ahead with it well and that makes sense it's a great smoke um you're not a huge drew estate fan it's only sold through Drew Diplomat dealers, and mm-hmm. they only receive certain allocations of this particular cigar because of the type of tobaccos in it. Right. Which I like it. I like the T-52 of the Ligas, probably the T-52, you know, well, let me say this, of the Ligas that are not the feral pig, 
the T52 is probably my favorite flavor. Yeah, and you've said that before. The the T52, I believe, has the Brazilian Matafina wrapper on it, uh, as opposed to the Oscuro Broadleaf. Well, and I'm very excited to see how much how you enjoy that cigar. This Macanudo Red on the first light, I'm not getting anything really hitting me right off the bat. I think I get used to the A.J. Fernandez stuff that just kicks you in the teeth first time you light it. So I mean, the General Cigar product tends to warm up a little better. Seems like it has to warm up to really start putting the flavor to you. I'd say that that's fair. So speaking of which, Villiger is opening a Brazilian factory near Ferra de Santana. What does that make about the second or third that we've talked about in recent weeks that's that's moving a factory down there? Yeah, it seems like they're starting to really fill that area in that Brazilian tobacco is kind of coming on. Oh, man, the air conditioning just kicked on, finally. <laughs> it was hotter than two rats in a wool sock over here. So I'm sorry I had to stop. I felt a little <laughs> brush of cool air, and I needed to take a second to enjoy it. But they're opening it. In the it will have for the start six rollers and it will be able to go up to 50 rollers. It's a 7,500 square foot factory, and it's just there's something about a cigar factory. I love the pictures from cigar factories. If you start, if you look at the people sitting there and the way they're rolling, and oh, yeah, it's just there's something magical. It's such a democratic system. Cigar rolling is so democratic because your skill and your ability to produce a quality product or what you get paid on. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's, it's very much a meritocracy. Well, and just so we kind of cover how a cigar factory works, you start out on the smaller ring gauge, simpler cigars, and usually there's a buncher and a wrapper. Mm-hmm. There's one person that bunches the cigars, and then there's one person that puts the wrapper on the cigars, and they work in teams. That's generally how that works. Right. Well, plus, you know, by starting with a smaller ring gauge cigar, a smaller cigar, your margin for error is reduced in terms of waste, because if you have to throw one of those away because it doesn't meet quality control, you're losing less tobacco than if you're, you know, making a 6 by 60 Yeah, and the... Then as you graduate up, you graduate up into larger ring gauges. And obviously the most skilled people in the cigar factory are the ones rolling the Solomons and the Perfectos. And the Pyramids. Yes, the more odd-shaped cigars. That's, that's kind of reflective of the skill involved in the roller. And it's interesting because you think about taking an agricultural product and har- how hard it is to reproduce a consistent Cigar from that product, from the tobacco. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it comes. It starts with the seed, right? I mean, every seed that is planted, you don't know how it's going to mature into a if it's going to make it to a full grown plant. You know, once it's in, once it's out of the seed pot and into the ground, you don't know what the weather's going to do like. You don't know if it's going to thrive or not. You don't, and then the fermentation process. If it gets too hot or doesn't get hot enough, and then you get to the rolling where it can be too tight. It can be uh, too loose. It can have pockets in it. You know, there's so there's so much that goes into it that it can really um, change. So so to have, you know, when we talk about consistency in a in a cigar company, Oliva is one that comes to my mind. I was talking about talking about that with Austin recently. You know, Oliva is one of the unsung hum- heroes of a humidor, and one of the things that they do right is consistency. I mean, you pick up you know, a cigar from 14 different boxes, and it's going to be the same cigar across each one of those 14 cigars. And that's a tremendous accomplishment. 
Well, and it's going to be the same cigar from year to year. So for multiple harvests, it's going to be mm-hmm. the same cigar. So really interesting to see how they pull all that together and the the hand, the pride, the craftsmanship, and the, the hand-rolling process of putting the long filler tobacco in there and putting just enough Lajero so that it has flavor, but you can put so much Lajero that it can't burn. And putting the wrapper on in such a way that it can actually travel and not be damaged. I mean, there's so much goes into that. It really, I, I just love the process. I can't wait to one day go visit some of these factories. I know. That's definitely a bucket list item for me is to get down to do a factory tour and to, you know, to see the nuts and bolts. Yeah. I mean, I just, I want to go, you know, Camp Camacho, they do the tours. Drew Estate famously does the cigar safari tours. Mm-hmm. Perdomo does, um their tours of their facility because Perdomo everything is made there from the boxes to the glue all the way down the only thing they don't make in their factory is the cellophane yeah it's just it and they actually do make the cellophane uh, you know they do put it in the cellophane do all that but they don't make the the actual cellophane that's the only thing they don't do speaking of which I did have a question come up last week from somebody who's a listener she asked should I store my cigars in the humidor in the cellophane or not I feel like, I I think we've talked about it on the show before, but it's a great thing to bring up because there's a lot of, I I think it really comes down to personal preference. Uh, For me, it depends on what I want out of the cigar. So if I'm aging a cigar, I'm going to take it out of the cellophane. I'm also going to make sure that that is in my home humidor and not in my travel humidor. If it is going to be moved around more than once between the time that I put it in the humidor and smoke it, I'm leaving it in the cellophane. Just because that's what it's there for. It's there to protect the integrity of the wrapper and the cigar itself. But if you really want to get the most out of it from an aging perspective, taking it out of the cellophane is going to do a lot for it in that regard. But that also being said, the cellophane, it apart from just protecting it from physical damage, also helps it hang on to some of its humidity. So if you let a cigar in the cellophane get too dry, it's going to take a lot more to bring it back or too wet. Um, but that gives you a little pr- protection. If you're not checking on the humidity level of your humidor on a regular basis, it gives you a little bit more margin forever, for error. A cigar outside of cellophane is going to react to those changes in humidity and temperature a lot more. Well, and it also comes down to storage space. How big is your humidor? Right. You know, is your humidor large enough that you're not necessarily putting cigars side by side of two different types? You know, my wife smokes flavored cigars, and I've said before, I ask her to keep her cigars in a separate humidor than my cigars. Absolutely. No, that's definitely something that you want to do when it comes to flavor. Now, that being said, if I actually don't have a problem aging cigars side by side, even if they're two different cigars. Um, you're going to get a little bit of, of bleed over, so to speak. But unless you're aging a, you know, really light Connecticut next to a, a Liga, for example, a very full-bodied smoke, those, those flavors are going to mingle in a way that you're probably going to like. There's very rarely are you going to ruin a cigar or, or drastically change it. Because you've got to remember, you're still getting most of the flavor from the cigar itself. So that little bit of of washover from whatever it's sitting next to, as long as we're not talking about flavored cigars, is pretty minimal. You know, even when we store some of her cigars here at the shop in my locker, we keep them in their box mm-hmm. and keep their box sealed and usually keep them in their cellophane just because I don't want them bleeding over to the other c- cigars that I make. Because I keep, you know, 
eight or ten cigars in my locker here just in case I I want to grab something out of the locker, ain't in the mood to go into the humidor and kind of do the search and explore mission. Right. It's nice to have that, or especially if I have something special. You know, last week I gave Jay a guardian of the farm that I'd had in the locker because I wanted to get them before they got sold out. Right. You know, that's a cigar. Any cigar, any cigar under $10.00. If you find them, you better buy a couple because they're going to be the first ones that go extinct in the humidor. Right. The Charter Oak we've talked about numerous times is a perfect example of that. You know, it's it, go, it sells out so fast when they bring them in because it's such a high-quality cigar for the price. And what's nice about that when you are talking about a budget cigar, <clears throat> excuse me, is that you can usually afford to pick up three or four of them at a time and sit on them for a little bit if you want to. So, something else that came out that really interested me, you and I both, we've talked on the show, we're both document, documentary people. I really enjoy watching a good documentary, and I've said before that there's not really any great cigar documentaries out there that I've found. And is that about to change? That is about to change. So, this week at the um, Manhattan Film Festival, Prince of Smoke, a documentary by Martin Matthew Gilb, will be screening. And it's called Prince of Smoke because it's about Hirochi Rabanio and it's filmed entirely during the Cuban harvest season. Oh, that's neat. Now, Rabanos are one of those Cuban cigars. They're not famous as much as your Cohibas right. and your Romeo and Juliet's and your famous Cuban brands. But those people I know that have smoked Rabanio says they're just amazing. You know, the Rabanio is one of those cigars. It's, a, it's basically a craft cigar from Cuba and all. It's made only using special tobaccos and everything like that. It's a Rabanya farm during the weeks of harvest. The plantation has long been considered a mecca for cigar farms. So I'm really interested to see how this, how this is received. I wonder if, one, I wonder if this can be received well by the the Manhattan Film Festival. Yeah, the filming public. Right. But it's interesting. No, I've, I've not had a Rabanio either. Um, but it's interesting to know that there are still some of those more, I guess we would call them boutique cigar brands still operating down there. Yeah, and famously, you know, the Cuban cigar industry was taken over by the government. Right. So that doesn't really lend itself very well to, you know, to that boutique brand cigar. But for Robano to survive, I imagine this is going to be a very interesting documentary. Um, Hiroshi is following in the footsteps of his grandfather, Alejandro, who had the re- reputation as Cuba's most preeminent tobacco man before he passed away in 2010. Okay. So like most of these businesses, it's a family business. And you should read the article. The whole article is on Cigar Aficionado about it. And just some great film work has been done. If you kind of see the pictures there, you can see they've done a great job of filming it. And And that's the great thing I love about documentaries is is especially modern documentaries. The the cost of equipment and and the talent pool has grown, or the, the cost of equipment has gone down and the talent pool has grown so much that you get some really remarkable filmmaking in the documentary uh, segment. Um, I'll also, also be interested to find out because typically when you send a film to a film festival, the reason for that is to get a distribution deal. So that's that's the primary goal of, of hitting the, the festival circuit. Manhattan Film Festival is a relatively small film festival. It's not your Cannes or your Sundance. But it'll be interesting 
to see if they get picked up by somebody or if they get some some noise around it because I'd love the opportunity for it to hit a wider release, maybe VOD or something, so that I can watch it. Well, they do say it will be available for purchase online at Amazon. Oh, okay. This summer, so that'll be that'll be fun. That'll be worth. They'll get my five bucks or whatever they charge to actually yeah sit down and spend the time to watch it. Maybe they'll do it on Prime, and I won't even have to pay for it. Hey, that would be the dream, right? <laughs> that that's absolutely great. This when the when something you want to see finally comes on Prime, is that just a feeling like no other? Oh, it is. But it's but it's it's um, paralleled or, or or it's the wrong word, but. It's almost as good as it is bad when you think something's on Prime and then you go and you have to pay for it. Yeah, you come to find out that it's not. Now, since we're on the documentary subject, one of the documentaries I've watched this week on Netflix that I have just thoroughly enjoyed has been The Toys That Made Us. So tell me about that. You were, you were talking about it a little bit before the show tonight that you were really into it, but I haven't even seen or heard of it. Well, in 1986, when I was at that prime age group, that 5 to 11-year-old age group for toys, Masters of the Universe came out, okay. He-Man. And that was such a iconic toy, toy line. And they went in and actually talked about how they created the toy line, how at the time Star Wars was just dominating the toy, in- toy industry. Oh, I'm sure. And then they created He-Man, to be, to compete with that and so it's because what Jedi came out in what eighty three yeah I believe it was something like that so I mean they would have still had a lot of momentum on the toy side of things yeah and they were making the three and a half inch figures for Star Wars and the He Man figures were five inch so they were a much larger right much more detail oriented when they were creating them and creating this barbarian to go with it. And then they talk about how they created the cartoon series to go alongside of it. But this is the most interesting part to me. So in 1990, it was 92, um, no, excuse me, it was 88, He-Man made $275 million in toy sales. Wow. In 1999, they made $7 million. Do you know what caused the fall of the He-Man toy line? So from from eighty eight to ninety two. From eighty eight to eighty nine, one year. Eighty oh, eighty nine. What was one year? They dropped over a hundred million dollars in sales. I have no idea. Shira came out. The female version of He Man came out, and when He Man was built, they were talking about the um, the Masters of the Universe line was created because they did research on five to eleven year old boys, and they said, "What do these boys want? These boys want." power because every day they're told what to do by their parents they're told what to do by their teachers they're told what to do by society basically and there was this huge barbarian with an eight pack screaming i have the power (laughs) and that's what appealed well then all of a sudden when their sister had the power as well it was not worth as much value to them oh so it's interesting that they actually created a toy line that killed their cash cow that is interesting it's just I'd, i'd be interested to see how much the the Shira made up for that. I'm sure they talk about it that it probably wasn't enough to make up the difference. But I remember growing up, we actually had. Uh, it, I'm I'm sure so many people can had this had the grandparents' house where you had all the the reject toys from the previous generations of cousins and things like that. We had a a big chest in the basement of my great grandparents' house full of Shira dolls. Yeah, it's one of those things that they they tried to. Re- reinvigorate the toy line 
with the Masters of the Universe movie. Did you ever see the Masters? I of the didn't. Universe? Canon Films made it. Another great documentary is Electric Boogaloo because it's about Canon Films that made Universal Soldier. They made um, Cyborg, which is still one of the most confusing John claude Van Damme movies ever put to film. But all of those 1980s action movies were made by Canon Films. Well, Canon bought the right to Masters of the Universe. Mm. And the, the hardest I've laughed all week is when they said the live-action movie was supposed to save the toy line. The live-action movie had nothing to do with the toy line. <laughs> they had characters in there that weren't in the toy line, that were never in the cartoon. Dolph Lundgren played He-Man, which did not look right at all. Um, Skeletor, instead of actually spending money on special effects, they just painted some dude's face white. And Skeletor was such an iconic villain that it was right. just absolutely destroyed what was little bit was left of the Masters of the Universe line. Was the film a flop? Oh, tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous flop, tremendous um, pain for everybody involved. It just... One of those things, That's that's been just a super interesting documentary that I watched. I might have to, you said it's on Netflix? It's on Netflix. There's four of them right now. There's G.I. Joe, He-Man, Star Wars, and Barbie. And okay. I have not watched Star Wars or Barbie because I really don't have interest in Star Wars or Barbie. Right. And now, to be as much into all the sci-fi stuff, the Star Wars does nothing for me. Really? I'm actually to the point now that I feel like they've saturated the market with Star Wars. I would I would say that you're you're right on that. I haven't seen the last two that have come out because it, it used to be an event. You know, it used to be, and now and and when Force Awakens came out, that was a very big deal. But you know, all the ones that have come since just feels like it's just just putting more on top of a. It, it's like it's like going back for your third trip at the buffet. Right, they're they're just trying to continue milking the cash cow that is Star Wars. Right, and I'm absolutely against that. So, there's sorry, everyone. What you're hearing in the background is there's a hockey fight going on, and they're rooting them on from the cigar shop. Well, I'm based on how loud it is in here. I'm sure they can hear them in Toronto or wherever they are, wherever they happen to be fighting. And the NFL playoffs. How much longer is left on that? The NHL playoffs. Yeah, those. uh, we're not even to the final shot. Holy cow! As a, but by the time this comes out, you know they, they we'll probably be around game two or three of the finals. So it's almost over. You can breathe easy. So I definitely, I definitely <laughs> agree with your assessment of the Macanudo. It is far more earthy and less spicy. I'm not feeling the spice so much as I am feeling that more earthy texture. How's the Liga treating you? Oh, fantastic as always. Um, I'm smoking it slow. I'm enjoying it. It's it's fitting the bill perfectly. So if you had to describe the Liga to someone that's never smoked it before, how would you describe the flavors? That's a very good question. It's, it's very much a tobacco-flavored cigar. You know, you don't get a whole lot of notes. It's everything that you look for in an... In, it, when I... When I look for a cigar that's something a little special, I don't want a lot of spice. Even though I'm a big fan of spice and pepper flavors in my cigars, I want something that plays really well and is blended super smooth. And despite being a full-bodied cigar, it's actually a very smooth cigar. It handles aging superbly, by the way. If you ever get a chance to sit on a Liga for about a year or two, you're, you're going to be very, very happy with that. The Drew Estate, their premium line, and even their Muwat seem to age well. 
Yeah. Now, the exception to that for me would be the Kentucky Fire Cured. I don't think the Kentucky Fire Cured ages as well because when they're fresh, they seem to have a little more of that smoky flavor. Yeah, if you like the pungency of the KFC, it's going to lose some of that as it ages. That's also another one of those talking about aging a cigar. That's one, even though it's not a flavored cigar, I'm leaving it in the cellophane and keeping it a ways away from the rest of my stock if I can. Yeah, I tend to keep my KFCs and my Swamp things kind of on a shelf all to their self. Yeah. And generally, I'll put a box of cigars kind of in between them. I don't want them necessarily congregating with my other cigars. Yeah, I get that. And all, but I have I have the multi-shelf humidor, and that really helps Yeah, you've with got that. The, the retail-style display case that allows you, you've got a little bit more real estate than your average cigar smoker. Yeah, that helps a lot. But, that, you know, all your humidors are going to come with a tray, so just use the tray at the top to put your... Um, you're more pungent. You're more aromatic. I guess pungent's a bad word. Aromatic would aromatic be a is what I would say. Yeah. But well, we're, on on that note, that's a good top tip to go out on. So why don't we step away for a break for a second? Uh, come back uh, after the cigar under eight. Trey here with this week's Cigar Under $8. I want to talk about a cigar that I smoked actually for the first time last week, which was the CAO La Traviata. Fantastic cigar for the price. I mean, it's actually under $7, and I felt like there was so much flavor going on in this cigar. I know a lot of people went for the um, La Traviata just as a price point cigar back when CAO was stationed out of Nashville. And now that General's taken them over, they've really seemed to bring that. But that's one of the things General does really well is bring a great cigar at a very reasonable price. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about last week, but when Sean was on, he talked about how this is still one of the most widely searched cigars in their line. And after smoking it, I really understand why. I had the Maduro version, which is a broadleaf Maduro wrapper over Dominican and Nicaraguan binders and fillers, which... You know, there was a lot of flavor in that little cigar. A little bit of spice, but mostly some leather and some oakiness. It was just, it was a good all-around smoothly blended cigar. It's one of the few cigars under eight that would make a really good daily smoke. Absolutely. If you were looking for that daily smoke. And welcome back to the Cigar Cast. One of your hosts, Shane Reeves, sitting across from Mr. Trey Dedman. Welcome back, everybody. Soon to be world traveler. Soon to be. Again, as I mentioned, as this is as this is airing, I will be in Italy, and I am so looking forward to it. So, tell us about the Italy. Tell us about your plans <laughs> for the trip. Tell us about the Italy. About the Italy. So, I, to tell you about the trip, I've I've got to tell you the funny way that this sort of came about. Every Every summer, usually around the end of June um, or 4th of July week, my family takes a vacation to the beach in Florida at the Panhandle. Um, Right on Highway 30A, if you're familiar with the area, it's Rosemary Beach is where we usually go. We've been going there for over a decade. And it's gotten so expensive down there that it was cheaper to go to Italy. <laughs> Including airfare and everything. Like it so the trip really came out of just a really great scenario where it just all the pieces fit together. So we're flying out Memorial Day and we'll get 
there early on Tuesday after time change and all that stuff. So our flight timing is perfect, but we're going to land in, in Bologna is where we're staying, which is a town that most people have heard of, but it's relatively small when you think of Italy. You know, you think of Florence, um, you think of Rome and Venice primarily. And, uh, but we're going to be in Bologna, which is nice because there's a lot of history there. There's a portico that goes around the entire city that was built by like a cardinal or a bishop at one point um, a couple of centuries ago so that if it was raining, everyone in the city could get to the cathedral without getting wet. So I'm really interested to see that. Um, We're going to stay for a couple of days. We're going to take a day trip to Venice one of the day as a group and do a tour there. We're going to take about a day and a half trip down to Rome. It was very funny. We were we decided we're going to rent a car like a big van and drive to Rome rather than take the train and then, you know, spend the day, stay the night in Rome and then come back uh, before we leave. We'll be there for a little over a week, about a week and a day. And in the group text with my family, they were like, and Trey's driving and (laughs) these gifts of people driving very recklessly started blowing up my phone it was hysterical uh so it's it's good to know that my family knows me but uh and i'm gonna get the opportunity to take some time to myself i'm actually gonna spend some time in venice uh just me just exploring the city because i love traveling with my family i love my family very very much but on a vacation like that sometimes you just need to you just need to separate for a minute and so I'm really, I'm going to go see, you know, a couple of sites that mean a lot to me from the, the Bond franchise. There were two movies that had scenes in Venice. One was Casino Royale and the other was Moonraker. So I'm going to go see what of those sites I can see. It's just going to be a real fun trip. And my first time in Europe as well. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's really, it's exciting. What are you planning to do for cigars? You know, it's funny because I haven't really thought that much about it. Typically, when I travel with my family, because I am the only smoker, I don't usually put a lot of energy into cigars. They're usually one of those things, I, when I can, I do. We had Nate McIntyre on the show a few months ago, and he talked about the Toscanos, which I think he said 95% of the cigars smoked in Italy are Toscanos, and you can find them just about everywhere. I'm not planning on taking anything with me. I figure I will try and scope out and probably smoke mostly Toscanos while I'm there, get a little bit of the local flavor. I've, I've had one, uh, no, I've had a few here. And so I know that it's something that I can enjoy and that I like to smoke. So uh, that, that's, I'm not planning on taking anything, um, anything with me, though. Well, the Toscanos are the dry-cured tobacco. They're um, commonly called cheroots around here. Yeah, they're, I would, just because of the nature of the way they're made, I don't know that I would call them a cheroot, but they certainly look like they're a cheroot. Yeah, they look like what you, what you see Clint Eastwood smoking in for a few dollars more and a fistful of dollars and things like that. Which makes me wonder, you know, the whole spaghetti western thing if maybe Toscanos because they've been around for generations I think maybe over a hundred years I think Nate said so it's very possible that that's what they were smoking at that time by the way the unseen unsung hero of the spaghetti western for me was always Lee Van Cleef he played the bad guy and the good the bad and the ugly he played the bad guy in almost all of those spaghetti westerns 
I imagine he's been shot by Clint Eastwood more than anyone in cinema. But just on a side note, so the other question I have for you about Italy is where y'all stand at Bologna? I started to say Bologna. Bolognese. Is it going, is it coastal? <laughs> what is it? It's very central. So it's northern central Italy. So it's about an hour and a half train ride southwest of Venice and about a, an hour train ride sort of northeast of Rome. Cool. It's, it's right, it's actually just south of Modena, which any Formula One fans out there will know the name of that city. That's where Ferrari is headquartered. So it's so close that if I get the opportunity, like I said, Saturday is when I'm, I'm going off by myself to, to Venice, which would otherwise be when I went to Modena. But if I get the opportunity the day before on Friday, I think we're going to have a pretty open day schedule-wise. I'm going to try and get up there and see the, the Ferrari factory. Now, have you learned any Italian or are you going to go all English and assume they have translators? What's your plan? So about a year ago, when no, about nine months ago, when we started talking about this trip, I had the grand idea that I was going to become fluent in Italian by the time we went. To the point that for Christmas this year, I was gifted a, um, a box of Learn Italian with the, the audio discs and the books and the, all of this stuff. Uh, it's still in itself, ain't <laughs> I I know zero Italian. Now, does your family have expectations that since they gave you this gift that you're going to have some translation ability? Luckily, the gift was given not only to me, but my brother and my brother-in-law. So, and I believe my brother is the only one who actually opened his. And he's been actually listening to the Coffee Break podcast, which is, they've got a bunch of different versions for different uh Languages, but the idea is that on your coffee break, they're little 15 minute lessons, and he's been really hitting those pretty hard. So he's got a little bit of understanding of Italian. He, you know, being mostly in major cities, by all accounts, we won't have any problems. Uh, we were originally planning on staying out in one of the smaller villages, which would have proven to be a little bit more complicated. But, you know, there's English is spoken so much in Central and Western Europe that. It's usually not that hard to get around. Usually shouldn't be an issue. Mom and Dad traveled through the Middle East, went to Jerusalem and all that, and they had no trouble speaking English there. So I can't imagine if they had no trouble there, you'll have any trouble in Italy. Yeah. The, the good thing is the British tend to travel very, very well across continental Europe, and that affords us, speaking the same language, a little bit of, um, of the, the benefit from that. Well, they have that great train system over there. That Euro rail system is so, so good. I wish America had something like that. I do, too. And I've got to tell you, that's probably one of the things I'm looking forward to most. I love trains. I want to do, like, an overnight train trip. I won't do that on this trip, but that's something that's, again, going back to the Bond thing, they always make it look so cool. But also, I just find rail travel so fascinating but so going to Venice, we will take the train. And I was on, I was on looking at tickets today and it was uh, only an extra like six euro to upgrade to first class. So I'm going to be taking a first class train, you know, leather reclining seat. You know, I was talking to my boss about it today, said the food was, on those trains is actually really, really good. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I, I agree. I wish we had a better rail system here that we could utilize. 
Very exciting. Okay, let's come back to cigar news now. So let's talk. You know, a cigar company you and I rarely ever discuss is Room 101. The Room 101 farce is shipping nationally, and by and large, I'm not the biggest Room 101 fan in the world. What's the name of the cigar? Farce. Oh, I thought you were just... Never mind. Uh, <laughs> you, you thought I was taking a shot at Room 101. How dare you? Would uh, I take a shot at a cigar company on this podcast? No. No, not at all. Um, although, since we are discussing Room 101, I'm going to be very careful not to do it myself. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. The, I don't... I, I really thought they did a great job when they first came out. The Namakubi was fantastic and the one that came out right before that uh, uh, the um, uh, one shot the Osak the one yeah, shot the one kill the one shot one kill was a phenomenal cigar and they were they were really expensive but then I feel like when the um, the really inexpensive one came out and then Matt Booth got really into his jewelry line and really got a little full of himself as a character and that became that's not an indictment on him but he just as the patriarch of the company became more of the story than the products of the company and that's when I sort of started pulling back from him a little bit yeah (laughs) you need to pull back from your cigar a little bit I think that was an involuntary (laughs) retro hail (laughs) my nose is burning and my eyes are watering and it's a macanudo red so it's still smooth but I kind of involuntarily retro hailed it because I was going to start talking about how okay jewelry in a cigar shop really Matt you didn't think this through yeah I mean there are a couple of companies that have done it and I get it the type of jewelry he's making fits a certain segment of the of the cigar smoking community but that those are those tend to not be the kind of people that I see in the sh- shop most of the time. Yeah, they tend to be more transient. That that more um, is metrosexual a term or not really. I wouldn't even go so far that I I would say it's more the people that used to wear Ed Hardy. Kind of that same yeah that same look. Yeah. But the farce it interests me. This is what interested me about the farce when I was looking at this review. It's an Ecuadorian wrapper. It's over an Indonesian binder and filler. All right. It got my interest a little bit. And it said, now this is the part I don't understand of the article. It says, Indonesian binder and fillers from Dominican Republic, Nicaragua, and Pennsylvania. So is that Indonesian seed grown in those areas? Yeah, that's probably what they're talking about. And it... um, I'm less intrigued now. Well, production handled by Tobacco Solero, William Ventura, in the Dominican Republic. So it's being made in the Dominican Republic. So the Indonesian, but it, that's an interesting recipe. Yeah, it really is. I will say I will probably pick one up and smoke it for no other reason than that's just an interesting recipe to me. Um, Although knowing Room 101, it's probably 16 bucks for a Corona. Um, room 101 farce, Gordo, 6.5 by 60, 12.90. Okay, that's less expensive that's not, than I was expecting. Uh, the Toro's $11.90, so that's not okay, terrible. That's, that's reasonable in the current market. Yeah, someone could could sit down and, you know, take a look at that. But really, Farce? Is that the best name y'all... I mean... I think it fits. A name has to be positive or else it will be negative. Right. When you name anything, remember, if you don't name it something positive, there's a very good chance it's going to turn out to be something negative. 
But speaking of something positive, uh, a little accessory news. So Zycar has released a tribute to law enforcement and first responders with a couple of new accessory kits. These things are really cool. Basically, it is the the red line set and the blue line set. So anybody, particularly in the South, but anyone who's been driving around and has seen the uh, the silhouetted American flag with the single blue line going through the middle or the red line. So the red line is, is for firefighters and first responders, the blue line being for the police officers. It's a full set. It comes with an ashtray, a lighter whose name I don't... It's, it's a current, I think it's called the, I, I don't see it here, uh, ELX lighter. So it's one of their current lighters, but they've just colorized to fit the scheme. And then the it's the XI1 cutter, so you know it's one of the best cutters on the market. It's going to have that same, uh, that flag with the single line motif on it. And then the ashtray is what I think is so cool. These things are gorgeous. Now, I, you know, I get so many ashtrays from giveaways and box purchases at events and stuff like that. I don't, I can't tell you I've ever bought an ashtray, but I have a dozen of them. But this reminds me, I, back when I had just started smoking cigars, CAO had one that was very similar in design to this, except it was square. These are round, and rather than having your traditional cigar rests, um, it actually steps down kind of like an MC Escher painting. And so you actually, rather than, rather than having a place for four cigars, you end up with a place for like six. And the thing I find fascinating is it looks, it looks so much like a, a brake rotor. It just, it looks very, it looks very masculine, but it also, I love the, that design. Well, by and large, I prefer Calibri accessories to Zycar. So do I. For function. But for looks, it's really hard to beat the Zycar line. Ooh, I disagree completely. I think Calibri's are so much better looking. I I like the the Zycar tends to have more character. It's like they have more room for art. Well, they I was about to say they when it comes to art pieces and branded pieces and things that have a little bit more um, like graphic design. I think you're right. They do play in that sphere a lot more than Calibri does. But for just true classic design and and quality of design, it, I and it's just more elegant, which is tends to be more my style. Well, the yeah the the Calibri is more function. It's more function over form, and sometimes I believe the Zycar follows more form over function. Especially when it comes to their lighters. Now, their their cutters. It's I, I use a XI three every day. You know, I love their cutters. They don't they don't always fit my hand great. I've got some pretty big mitts, so it I, I tend to get a little bit of a pinch. So I do like Calibri's cutter a little bit better right now because it's just completely different design. But that butterfly cutter is arguably one of the most perfectly designed pieces of equipment in the cigar industry. They're lighters I tend not to have very good luck with. Now, the good news with that is with Zycar, as long as you don't lose the thing, if it goes wrong, you trade it in for a new one. So they do have that going for them. But I, with the Calibri, I don't ever have, you know, they only have a two-year warranty as opposed to the lifetime. But I've never had to use a, a warranty on my Calibri. So the take, chances take that of me, as you will. The chances of me either upgrading, changing out, removing, or losing a cutter or lighter before the two years is over is pretty high. I'm, I'm more prone to upgrade and to put that kind of back in the rotation for later. 
right. than I am to, to, to actually need a lifetime warranty on a product. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, that's the dirty little secret. You know, with, with Zycar, you're going to pay a little bit more for the comparable product than you are with Calibri or Lotus or, or any of the other brands. And the reason for that is that you're paying for the warranty. And that's, that's fine if that's important to you. And, but the thing is, the, the likelihood of you losing that is far greater before it breaks, is far greater than you having to actually cash in on that warranty. So coming back, your trip to Italy is kind of a bucket list item for you. It is. Let's talk about bucket list cigars. Cigars, you know, we ask everybody, what's your desert island cigar? But what's that cigar that you've always been seeking that you would like to have? For me, it, you know, and you teased this before we started recording, so it gave me the opportunity to think about it a little bit, which you don't normally do, so I appreciate that. (laughs) You usually come in cold on stuff like this. I have got to get my hands on one of the Crown Heads TAA exclusives. I want one so bad I can't stand it. That is absolutely a bucket list cigar for me. That's a good one. And so many of the TAA shop designation is so hard to acquire. We had Austin over here, and he was talking about how hard it is to become a TAA shop in this country. And so the TAA exclusives, and there was just a whole list of those released. Mm-hmm. So I can see how the crowned heads would be, a, be one of those. I want a true Cuban Robano. Yeah. You know, we talked about the documentary earlier. I've heard so many people talk about it. A friend of ours had one, and they may or may not have been real. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you you never know with some Cubans. It's true. I I, I like to think with a Robano or something that's a little more, a little less mainstream like that, that you probably don't have to worry about fakes as much. But I would also venture to say that you're probably only getting those in Cuba as opposed to Canada and Spain and where some of these other guys source their Cubans. So it it could go either way. Now, what is the dream location and cigar? What's your bucket list? You know, I smoked the Padron 90th anniversary sitting on a beach in the Bahamas. That was one of my bucket list things to sit on the beach and just enjoy that Padron. If you had to put a location with a dream cigar, what would you like? Now, I want a thumbs up. You don't have, we don't have to discuss it, but I want a thumbs up from, from the audience as well as you as to whether you would have ever expected this to be my answer. The Oval Office. Okay. All right. Do they, do they allow smoking in the Oval Office? <laughs> they did at one point. But uh, if you make the rules, I assume you can do whatever you want. I, I would assume if you're president, I assume not many people tell the president, uh, sir, I'm going to need you to put that out. That's what I'm counting on. I'm kind of I'm hoping that's so an Oval Office. That's, a, that's pretty. Now, what would you smoke? Whatever I damn well pleased. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I think that, I mean, now I, I say that uh, somewhat tongue in cheek because I don't actually have plans to become the president of the country. Aspirations, maybe, but certainly not working towards it. Uh, uh, so, But I think that f- from a bucket list standpoint, um, to me, bucket list means different things than it does to most people. Mo- for most people, it's things that they absolutely have to do or, you know, before they die. For me, they tend to be goals that are possibly attainable. 
the the Oval Office is a bit. That's a good one. I will say this, and it is one I would never have suspected that you were looking for, and all. Because when I think bucket list, I think of something that would be a little harder to get, but would not be outside of the realm of of able to get a hold of. What are you saying? <laughs> hey, I'd vote for you. And That's all. all that matters, Shane. And, all, and this massive political campaign that you're going on through the cigar cast to, to be elected president. I'm just trying to get made Cuban sandwich czar of this country. Well, I can make that happen. There we go. That, that's what I need to know. <laughs> but it's all about who you know, not what you know, Shane. For me, it's always going to be a feral flying pig setting atop of a wildebeest that I shot in Africa. All right. That to me would be because every time I usually after I've killed a deer, I have a cigar and kind of sit there and wait for everybody else because I, I tend to, if I ain't shot a deer early, not get one. Poor Pumbaa. <laughs> yeah, we. <laughs> was it Pumbaa a warthog? Yeah, it was. Okay. But, it, it, but it got the point across. It got, it got the point across. Well, I've always, a friend of mine actually, his brother organized big game hunts in Africa. And I, it's kind of like you're going to the beach thing. That doesn't seem like a job you fall into. <laughs> no, he's got a brother. It's, again, it's back to who you know. Right. But I would love to be in Africa. I would love to go on one of the, the fabled big game hunts in Africa. And I would have to carry a feral pig with me for no other reason than just to sit and smoke it right after I had killed something in Africa. Well... It's going to take a lot to pull me away from you, but we are coming up on that time of the show where uh, I want to check in with your cigar and then uh, give some contact details away. So the Macadudo Red, it's good. Good cigar, real earthy, um, milder than I expected it to be. I expected it to have a little more kick. Yeah. I think this is actually my second cigar of the night, and I think I'm going to have to smoke it on a clean palate. I think I am losing some of the impact of the Macanudo Red due to the fact I'm working a dirty palate. It is a cigar of nuance. I will say that, uh, especially for the price, there there's a lot of subtleties in that blend that when I smoked it, I was on a fresh palate. And, you know, like I said, it's still more earthy and oaky than it was spicy, but I'd love to hear your review after you try it again. Yeah, I'll have to try it again. I'll have to smoke it on another podcast on a completely clean palate when I've had kind of a relaxing day because I I can see the joy in it. It's definitely worth trying again. And, you know, there's some cigars you smoke them once and you're like, yeah, I don't care if I ever have another one, but I would smoke one if I didn't have nothing else. Mm. This is definitely a cigar. I think I'm going to have to have a second shot. And some cigars just grow on you. It's true. The the Underground Sun Grown was that for me. The first one I had, I didn't understand what all the fuss was about because you fell in love with it almost instantly. And it took me about three before I really realized what I was getting out of that cigar. Yeah, I think I think that's a big part of it. Now, Liga, you're about halfway through your Liga. Yeah, I, the thing I love about the Liga Robusto especially is because it's a little bit bigger in ring gauge than most Robustos. It's a 56. So it burns so slow, and it's just, it's burning really consistently, and, and it's just everything I wanted in this cigar. Before we go, I do have one question for you. Have you ever tripped on your tennis shoe or, or on a shoelace while running or slipped on a banana peel? No to both. You know, I'm, st- I'm starting to think Bugs Bunny was not telling me entirely the truth. 
Because all the time when I go to the gym, I leave my shoes untied when I leave the house and then time once I get to the gym. So they have time, you know, to settle down on my feet. And there's inevitably somebody walks up, you're going to trip on that. I've never tripped on a shoelace. I have tripped on a shoelace, but not while running. It just, it seems to me like that that's one of those urban myths. And it's like banana. I know I've stepped on thousands of banana peels and I've never have fell Have you really, one. though? Oh, How yeah. How often do you step on banana peels? Because I have a Labrador that I walk every day and people throw banana peels out of their door and I'm always stomping on one to keep him from eating it and carrying it back what? to my house. <laughs> what? what do you live in a Mario Kart stage? Who's throwing banana peels out the front door? There's always people throwing banana peels out their windows in my neighborhood. I don't know. And there's who. my neighbor Donkey Kong, and there's my neighbor, neighbor Curious George. And <laughs> hey, the property value in the jungle section is climbing constantly. <laughs> so, well, now that you don't have to worry about Elvis shooting out everyone's TVs, I think you're good. I, sh- I should be in good shape. So, okay, we've we've degenerated. We into have goofiness. really fallen off of a cliff. So, if if you want to hear more of this, or maybe want to tell us to stop, uh, drop us a line at facebook.com/slash/thecigarcast, and you can get us on Instagram and Twitter at the Cigarcast. And due to Trey's trip, we are extending the ashtray contest for another two weeks. Yeah, just because we kind of had to, to bump up the recording schedule, so we haven't had a chance to go through all the entries and pick our winner yet. So you do have a couple more weeks uh, to get those in. Make up a cigar. I mean, it's that simple. Give us give us kind of the backstory, the makeup, the, um, the company you think that would put it out, or make up a company if you want to. Sounds good, and until next week, everyone have a great cigar and think well of us.